You know, the culture is actually damn good. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, where y'all at? This is Trafalgar Square. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. Have you been drinking? It was a good show, huh? During the workday, when you feel possessed by amorous intent, may I suggest that you suppress it? Hey! 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 Hey, how you doing? Let's get in the conference room. I would like to invite everyone into the conference room. I would like to have a meeting in the conference room right now. I know for a fact that nobody in the Parks Department reads letters. Does everybody have to be crazy today? Now get me Savian! Well, to answer Tina's question, apparently everybody does have to be crazy today. We're going to have Will Hobson of the Washington Post join us in just a few minutes. Will Hobson, at 9 o'clock this morning, had the bombshell story of the day in and around the DMV. That is a a settlement slash non-disclosure agreement with a former employee of the Washington football team uh, that involved Dan Snyder and allegations of sexual harassment on a private flight of Snyder's back from the Country Music Association Awards a number of years back. That was the big story, the huge overarching story of the day at 9 a.m. And then at 9.30, as often happens with Washington and this football team, things change. We got rumblings of it last night. You might have seen it on Twitter. Uh, And now Dwayne Haskins, last week's starting quarterback, has issued an apology for partying in crowded spaces without a mask after the loss to the Seahawks. The Seahawks team has disciplined him. Unclear whether the discipline is a fine or a suspension. I am reading from an article that was written by our good friends Sam Fortier and Nikki Jarabala, and it posted just uh, after lunchtime today. This was first broken and noticed by a colleague of theirs, Rudy Gersten of the Washington Post. If you haven't seen the pictures on Twitter, uh, you've, you're either not a fan of the Washington football team or uh, you've been living under a rock today. It shows Dwayne Haskins in a private dining room, apparently celebrating uh, the birth date of a, a birthday of a young lady. It also shows him in uh, very close to that young lady, and they appear to be holding, at least the young lady does, uh, a handful of dollar bills. And it does not stretch the imagination too far to say it looks like there are uh, other females that are dancing in that same picture. Now, in and of itself, um, that would be a bad look, probably something he would have to explain to his coach and his teammates, considering the fact that they lost a semi-important football game as they're in the, um, they're in the race for the NFC East at six and eight right now. The fact that what he was doing by going to a nightclub without personal protective equipment is considered by the NFL high-risk COVID-19 conduct. It means that what little chance Dwayne Haskins had of salvaging his career here in Washington, I think, is probably over with. Now, Haskins did issue a statement on Twitter today 
saying, quote, I want to publicly apologize for my actions this past Sunday. I spoke with Coach Rivera yesterday, took full accountability, putting the team at risk. It was irresponsible and immature of me, and I accept responsibility for my actions. I also want to apologize for creating a distraction for my team during our playoff push. I will learn and grow from this and do what's best for the team going forward. A few minutes after issuing the apology, he deactivated his Twitter account, or at least made it private. It has since been opened back up. Okay, here's the deal, and it pains me to say so. It's time to move on from Dwayne Haskins. I really thought he could have been the answer, and I was all for giving him every single solitary chance to win back the starting job one day. I really did. Even after an inconclusive result against Seattle, I would have said getting rid of him now would be a mistake, even though I I thought it was going to happen anyways. But this, this just goes too far, even for me. So here's why. Washington is a city unlike any other in the NFL. New York may be the cultural capital of the world, and I imagine there are cities that would debate that, London, Paris, etc. There is no doubt about this, though. Washington is a city about power. Washington is the seat of government for the most powerful nation on earth regardless of how you may or may not feel about the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. If you are around my age and you learn to be a fan from your father, uh, one of the things that you were taught when you were a kid is that the two most powerful people in Washington, D.C. are the president and the starting quarterback of the Washington football team, and not necessarily in that order, depending on how things go. I understand that Dwayne Haskins is young and maybe immature, but unfortunately, when you are the quarterback of the Washington football team, that doesn't cut it. Again, this city is about power. This is the home of some of the most powerful people, not just in the country, but in the world. The Senate Majority Leader, the Speaker of the House, the President, the Vice President, the person who commands day-to-day the most powerful army, most powerful military in the world, lives in Washington, D.C. You see his office when you come off the Beltway and go into the district. It's a city where people whose names are etched in American history, if it's been recently, have government buildings named after them. If it's a little bit further back, they have monuments built to them. It's culturally, it's, despite all of that, um, when this football team is winning, all of those people, all of them, would do just about anything to get an audience with the quarterback of the Washington football team. And that's not hyperbole. I mean, go back to the 80s about the only person who probably would cause a bigger distraction than Ronald Reagan would have been Joe Theismann. 
And I know some of you might be thinking right now, well, what about John Riggins? Well, and yes, Riggo was about as close to challenging that axiom as anybody. But I'll tell you why Theismann, the quarterback, was even more important in this town. And that's the Sandra Day O'Connor dinner. Joe Theismann couldn't have gotten away with that. But because John Riggins was running back, he could play the part of the rogue. You, know, you go back. If you're old enough, you go back and you remember. You remember Vince Lombardi bringing Sonny Jurgensen to town. And you remember George Allen bringing Billy Kilmer to town. And that's where it all started. Sonny Billy, Billy Sonny. And they were, and maybe to some extent still are for a certain segment of the population, you know, some of the most popular, iconic names in town. When you are chosen to be the face of the franchise, to be the franchise's starting quarterback, you have to play by a a different set of rules. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. You're not a backup tight end, and you can't behave like one. If you don't believe me and you think that what I'm saying is bunk, think about how how big of an icon Tom Brady would be if he and Bill Belichick had landed in Washington instead of New England. If there had been six super, if he had, if Tom Brady had bought six Super Bowls to D.C. instead of New England, I'll tell you exactly what would be happening right now. Whether he would be in in Tampa or or still in Washington. Tom Brady, Tom Brady would have people knocking down his door to bankroll a political campaign when he was ready to hang it up. Would be breaking down his door to give him power. That's the way it works in Washington. It, it goes beyond the fact that it was so stupid and selfish that he's put the team in jeopardy. He's put, you know his teammates in jeopardy just by doing what he did with these COVID rules. If he can't play this week, and it's very likely that he can't because he violated the COVID rules, where does that leave this team that needs to win at least one out of the next two in order to win the division? With either Stephen Montez or Taylor Heineke, starting this Sunday, if Alex Smith can't play. Now, I fully expect Alex Smith to play, but what kind of shape is he in? I mean, if he can walk, he will play. But you saw how he looked two weeks ago. I hope he's fully healed up and they're able to ride this out. But if not, (laughs) that's what Dwayne Haskins did to this team. He may have, in addition to everything else, single-handedly, torpedoed what was going to be a fantastic run, this improbable run to the playoffs where they might have been able to actually win a game. Again, if Alex Smith is healthy, at least that part of it will be okay. But for that reason, it's not going to surprise me if between right now, the time you hear this, and Monday, if Dwayne Haskins isn't cut and you just eat the salary on him, uh, Ron Rivera just can't keep him around, I don't think, anymore. Not if he's really trying to change the culture. Because what does that say to guys like Jonathan Allen and Morgan Moses and even Chase Young and Terry McLaurin? 
Brandon Scherf. What does that say to them? If you put up with this behavior from a guy like Dwayne Haskins, what it says is things haven't changed from, from last year, year before, and the last 20 years. Bill Hobson of the Washington Post joins us. We are talking about what has amazingly enough now become the other story in relation to the Washington football team today. You know, Will, just reading your uh, the story that you guys put up today alone, it, it reminded me of that uh, old, uh, old ABC miniseries that Howard Cosello used to talk about on Monday Night Football when talking about intrigue in Washington and the football team. He would say, Washington, behind closed doors. And I think that definitely describes this one. Um, I, I, I kind of catch us up on on where everything is. Um, your team put the story out, I guess, early this morning about a, a confidential settlement between Dan Snyder and a former uh, team employee, right? Right. Yeah. So the the news today is that uh, in 2009, uh, Dan and the team uh, paid a former female employee 1.6 million dollars after she made a, an allegation of some type of sexual misconduct against Dan. Uh, the alleged incident um, occurred on, uh, on Dan's plane on a, a trip back from Las Vegas that year. Um, so, and the reason, one of the reasons why this is, is revelatory is because at, this, at the same time, uh, the team's lawyers are waging this legal fight in court to keep details relating to a settlement agreement that sounds very much like the one that we saw a copy of from getting released out into the public. Yeah, um, you and and Beth Reinhardt and Liz Clark have been you know, were this was uh, the three of your bylines. Um, you shared the byline on this. How how long have you guys been working on on this part of the story? Because you guys were, of course, the ones that that broke uh, the story over the summer about the rampant sexual harassment claims against the team. Right. I mean, this specific alleged incident. Uh, I know I. I personally uh, have been aware and, and digging into aspects of it off and on over the course of several years. Um, and uh, finally, in the last week, I, I was able to, to, to get my eyes on some, some documentation that, you know, allowed us to do a story and, and supported some aspects of what, you know, what I've been hearing for a while about what, what, what may or may not have happened here. When you look at this, um, is this the kind of thing? I, I it's similar in in some ways, and in some ways, I guess critics of Snyder will say it's even worse than than what happened in Carolina that forced Jerry Richardson to sell. I mean, Dan Snyder has always said, you know, he he is the principal owner. He will always be the principal owner. If his partners don't like it, uh, you know, they can they can be bought out. And there's that ugliness that's going on, but. Is this something that may rise to the level of the NFL forcing Dan Snyder to sell the team, or are we reading too much into it? I mean, I can't really speculate on that. That's something that's ultimately going to be up to uh, the owners in the league and, and you know, whatever, uh, in response to whatever comes from this uh, league investigation of, of the team's workplace culture. Gotcha. Um, you know, I think an important question that has not been answered by the NFL is, uh, what it knew about this this settlement agreement and the related allegations, and, and when they knew, because you know for a period of time this summer the NFL permitted uh, Dan to oversee an investigation of allegations of sexual harassment at 
uh, at the team. Uh, and I mean, there are obviously some potential conflict issues there. If, if that investigation uncovers anything alleged against Dan and how those investigators were, were and are going to be able to, um, you know, thoroughly do that job when ultimately the, the, you know, Dan's the one cutting their paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. How, um, uh, how much trouble you think Snyder could be in with the league at this point? Again, I mean, it's just, I, I, there's really no way to speculate that. Um, uh, you know, we have to remember as part of the settlement agreement, Dan, Dan denied any, Dan did not acknowledge any wrongdoing. The team did not acknowledge any wrongdoing. Um, so, I mean, I think ultimately that, that is going to be the result of what did the, the league's investigator, Beth Wilkinson, what evidence has she uncovered? What uh, conclusions will she arrive at about uh, the workplace culture of this team and, and Dan's role in that? And then um, how how the league and the, and the various donors respond to that? Yeah. And, and I know, you know, I'm, I, it, I know it's hard for, you know, guys like you, you're a reporter, you present facts. So it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to talk about this because, you know, you need to talk about facts, not opinion. That's for, you know, that's for the opinion writers. Um, earlier, of course, earlier this week, uh, the three of you guys had the story where uh, that included, you know, the court filings with that cryptic text from, an investment person in Baltimore. Um, how are, I'm assuming that the two stories are connected in some way. Am I right? Uh, I mean, I think that the so I don't know the the text you're referring to is a, the, an investment banker for the minority owners of the team who are feuding with Dan right now in court right. sent a threatening text to Dan one night uh, and talking basically threatening to release some type of damaging information that this person claims they have about Dan. Now, I don't know what that info is. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what damaging intel that, that banker has or claims to have. Um, but uh, it's, you know, to my knowledge, it's not, not connected to the story that we published today. Um, but I mean, this, this is all connected in that Dan is, Dan and the team are currently engaged in two very um, uh, ugly, <laughs> I would say, legal yeah. battles in, in uh, federal court in Maryland and Virginia, you know, one in Maryland with his minority owners who claim he's blocking their attempt to sell the team. And then in Virginia, where uh, the team is fighting with the league's investigator over what details are going to come out about this settlement agreement. You guys, I mean, there's, you know, there's also a story in the New York Times about this today. And, uh, you know, that the whole back and forth thing. What's it like as a journalist to be in the middle, in the center of such a, a big story like this? Uh, I mean, it's a little stressful just because, <laughs> uh, you know, there are a lot, there are a lot of parties involved here with different motivations and different relationships with, with, with different publications. So, I mean, we were Saturday evening when that New York Times story posted, uh, we were 70 or 80% of the way done the reporting for today's story. And mm. so you know, immediately needed to you know, read that story and kind of try to, to figure out what to make of, of the information there, particularly the information that, that the Times published about this, this settlement and these allegations and you know, go back to the people that we were talking to about what they knew about the situation that ultimately informed what we ended up publishing this morning. I mean, I, I can only imagine, I, I said before, you know, we went on the air, I'm, I'm trying not to fanboy out here because I, I just, I, I really, you know, to me, you guys are, are 
you know, or, or like the Rolling Stones of journalism. And you've got as your executive editor, who I imagine is overseeing that kind of the god of this kind of stuff. And Marty Baron, who was part of the Spotlight crew that broke the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese of Boston, broke that story back in in the early part of the of the 2000s. I mean, what's it like, um, you know, working for a guy like like Marty Baron? Because I imagine, you know, his guidance, this is kind of, this stuff is almost right up his alley, I would imagine. Right. I mean, it's it, it's great. It, it is, you know, um, as a journalist who does these, you know, specializes in these types of stories where you're going to be dealing with some some very angry people that you're trying to write stories about or involving. Um, it, it's good to know that you have an editor uh, at the top who, A, is not going to be cowed or bullied by threats of litigation or or stuff of that nature. Uh, and then and then B is... Um, is going to hold you accountable as a journalist. So, you know, they're not gonna let, I know Marty's not gonna let me get anything in the newspaper that doesn't pass muster and that isn't going to be bulletproof and hold up if it's challenged in the court of public opinion or in a court of law. So it's just, it's a very, I think it, it's it's probably a little bit like being a, a NFL player when your head coach is Bill Belichick. You know that, you know, yeah. every Sunday you're gonna be in, in, in the position you need to be. Yeah, I, I, I... Couldn't even imagine, and I mean that in the best sort of way. It, it must just be incredible for for people out there who who don't know a story like this that we saw today. How many hours worth of of reporting and research and verifying does something like this go through before it actually lands on on the front pages of the Washington Post? I mean, this one in particular, it'd be, it'd be difficult to calculate because you know we I, I have been seen aspects of the story for uh you know several years um but uh but for other stories i mean yeah it's 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 entirely common to interview uh, dozens dozens of people one of the stories this year it was in excess of 100 people we ended up interviewing and um you know many of them are sharing with us documents uh that we're, we're reviewing as well and we need to you know authenticate make an effort to make you know validate the stuff that's being shared with us is is legitimate so um it's it's a very time consuming process mm. um do we should we as readers expect there is i mean is, is there more stuff out there i you know do you think should we should we look at this as the as the last story on this or is this something that's going to continue for a while do you think I mean, well, there's with regard to the settlement agreement there's certainly more details out there that i think are being hammered out in uh in between lawyers right now in a, in a court case in Virginia. I mean, we don't know what this woman accused Dan of. We don't know how Dan responded. Um, and then we don't we don't know what Beth Wilkinson, the NFL investigator, what she has uncovered. Uh, and so she's gonna write up a, a report. Uh, we don't know if that's gonna get released um, as a journalist, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then, and then we don't know how the league is gonna respond. So, so yeah, I, I don't think this story of you know what it's like to work for the Washington football team under Dan Snyder and his role in in any problematic aspects of that is not going to be going away anytime soon. Will Hobson of the Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us today. As I said, uh, I am a huge admirer of of y'all's work and continue continued success in uh, the digging on this story. I am sure there's probably going to be a lot more of it we're going to hear in the coming months. Thanks so much, Bob. Really appreciate it, and uh, happy holidays there. Thank you, my friend. You too. Remember, when we all saw the story break about the sexual harassment claims of the former cheerleaders of the teams, you know that story that 
everybody was talking about on ESPN, Nightly News, and everywhere else. That was Will Hobson, Duff Reinhardt, and Liz Clark, who were the ones that broke that story. Unbelievable. Be interesting to see where this one goes. All right, we are out of time for today. It's also going to be real interesting to see what Ron Rivera has to say in our daily update uh, tomorrow. Uh, as practice gets started for what is now the biggest game of the year, at least until the next one, but for sure this weekend. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll let you know what Rivera has to say about Dwayne Haskins and more. That'll be interesting. Remember, like the wise man once said, if you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white.